Well, good morning, Trinity. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Advent. Uh, for anybody that I haven't met yet, I do see some new faces in here. Welcome. My name is David. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here, so let me be another voice to welcome you. We are officially in the Christmas season, a season which should begin in August, not in December. It is my favorite season, as many of you know. Um, last week, we celebrated the new birth with three baptisms in the second service. That was incredibly powerful, incredibly sweet time to be a part of. And we also concluded our study through the New Testament book of First John. And today we be begin our sermon series through Advent. It's going to take us a little bit further past Advent, and it's titled Make Room, Welcoming God's Interruption. So over the next several weeks, uh, we're going to look at the people within the biblical story, within the biblical narrative of Jesus' birth, the first Christmas, if you will, and we're going to see how God's plans and interruptions royalty, royally disrupted their lives. And we're going to hold that over our own life. And we're going to ask some questions. Do we welcome God's interruptions? Do we receive them? Do we trust them? Do we even notice them? A few moments ago, we lit the Advent candle of hope. And we're going to continue with that theme as we look at the interruption that preceded the interruption. We're going to look at the birth announcement of John the Baptist from the angel Gabriel to Zechariah. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 verses 5 through 21. But before we get there, a bit of housekeeping for context. Who is John the Baptist? And why is this story relevant to the biblical narrative? And why is this story relevant to us here and now? Well, John is called the most theologically significant person in the Gospels other than Jesus. And Jesus himself says of his cousin John, among those born of women, there are none greater than John. Everyone is born of women. That's a big population size. <laughs> none are greater than John. Now, as many of you know, in the hundreds of years prior to Jesus' birth, God sent his people prophets, messengers armed with the word of God for the people of God, whose purpose it was to turn the hearts of God's people back to him. We know many of them by name, right? Isaiah, Daniel, Amos, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Malachi. The sixth century prophet Isaiah said that one day a prophet would come to God's people from the wilderness to prepare the people for the coming Messiah. And some of the final words of the Old Testament before 400 years of silence from God come from the prophet Malachi. God tells Malachi, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So as we land here in Luke chapter 1, God's people have been adventing for not only the Messiah, but for the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who would come before. This forerunner is John, John the Baptist. He was called John the Baptist because, well, he baptized people. Now, he didn't invent baptism. He repurposed it. The Jews had a process, a, a, a um, a ritual cleanse that they would do in this big pool 
uh, <clears throat> or think of it like a gigantic hot tub um, called a mikvah, and they would walk in one side dirty, walk out the other side clean. And John repurposed that in a number of ways, two that are worth mentioning. One, you don't walk in and walk out of an immersion baptism. You're dunked by somebody else, right? Pointing to someone else doing the work to clean you, i.e. Jesus Christ on the cross. Represents death, new life. Second, it represented citizenship in a new kingdom. Somewhat lost on us, but very pertinent to them in, in those days was when you were baptized in the name of somebody else, John or eventually Jesus, you were essentially renouncing your citizenship and your current nation and accepting citizenship into a new one. And so John was and is very, very important. If Jesus is the atomic interruption, John is the lit fuse, if you will. So with that in mind, let's turn to Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verses 5 through 21. It is on page 830 in the blue Bible in the pew back in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, that is our early Christmas gift to you. The verses will also be up on the screen. Luke chapter 1, we'll start in verse 5. Luke writes, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at the delay in the temple. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, there is much to glean from your word today. There there are so many lessons in here for us today. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you meet each one of us where we were at today in our pain, in our discomfort, in our bitterness, in our anxiety, in our sleepiness? Would you awaken hearts, awaken minds, awaken our spirit 
to all that you have for us today. And as our worship goes up, would freedom come down and would chains break in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, there are several characters within this story, but I want us to focus on and learn from three today. Number one, the praying priest. Number two, the weeping wife. And number three, the faithful father. All right, let me give some background on what's going on here as we dive into this story. A thousand years prior to Luke chapter one, King David divided the priests into groups, divisions of 24. Each group would serve twice per year in the temple, once a week, or once for one week. The other four weeks, they would all serve for the Jewish religious holidays. Zechariah is of the division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth is from the lineage of Aaron, who we know was a Levite priest. So this is an amazing couple. They love God, they fear God, they devote their lives to God. Verse 6, they walked blamelessly with the Lord, kept all of his commandments. Now, of course, they were justified by faith, for that is the only justification available. But they lived and walked out the Lord's commandments, lives marked by obedience to the God they loved and the God who loves them. And when we meet Zechariah, he is on duty in the temple in Jerusalem. And the little transla- literal translation of verse 8 says, it happened that while he was serving as priest before God. But let's be clear, nothing just happens in God's economy. God either causes or allows, but nothing just happens. This is a divine appointment orchestrated before the foundations of the world were laid, but nothing just happens. You're not just here today. This too is a divine appointment. Now there were so many priests that their custom was to cast lots to see which priest would have the privilege, the honor of carrying out this rite of incense, which came at the conclusion of the sacrifices. This rite was prestigious. There were 18,000 priests at this time. And they burned incense 14 times per year. If your name was picked, you could never do it again. You could only do it once. A once in a lifetime honor to burn incense in the holy place. And Zechariah, who is old in age, is chosen to burn incense and pray for the nation. And in the middle of this once in a lifetime opportunity, God interrupts. Now, I, I don't know about you guys. But if I'm working on something, when I'm working on something, oh, I don't know, like say writing a sermon, and Ashley or my kids have a question, or heaven forbid they want to actually in, like, engage in conversation, I am not proud of the way I react all the time to that. And I know I do the same thing when God wants to speak to me, when God wants to engage with me, when God interrupts me, right? I'm busy right now. Like, this can wait. Translate, whatever I'm doing right now is more important than what you have for me. That's what I'm saying. Now, Zechariah is not just interrupted, but he's interrupted by an angel, and not just any angel, but the angel Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God 
meaning that the angel Gabriel is for sure radiating that glory in front of Zechariah. And Zechariah acts just like you would and just like I would. He is terrified. Translates to filled with dread. And the messenger Gabriel knows this. He can probably see it. Which is why he says, do not fear. And brothers and sisters, we would do well to heed those three words in our life. Do not fear. When we hear the Lord's voice calling us into deeper faith, do not fear. When we're in the middle of the pain, the depression, the sorrow, the uncertainty, a total lack of control, do not fear. Now we know the elephant in the room. And I don't mean that Gabriel was particularly a large angel. I mean the biological fact that Zachariah and Elizabeth were childless and in old age. Unable to conceive, not unwilling. This was not voluntary, and I'll get into more of this in a moment, but this is a praying priest. Zachariah would have spent years, decades praying for a child and perhaps specifically for a son. And I only say that as a father of four daughters, not to downplay or dismiss the unbelievable blessing of having daughters. I'm being entirely serious. But I would imagine that Zachariah would want an offer a son to continue in the tradition of the priesthood. That is total conjecture on my part. But what is not conjecture is the thousands of times Zachariah was on his face before the Lord praying for a child. And if you have ever been there, if you have ever prayed so hard on your face that you could rip through the carpet, you know the progression that takes place. Belief sparks prayer for a desire, often a very noble desire. A delay in answered prayers pushes you further in. A further delay makes you question if something is wrong with you. A further delay makes you lose hope if God is even listening so you start to compromise on your prayers, which compromises your faith because it compromises the very character of God. And you finally start to lose hope that God is even there at all. Destination despair, the absolute absence of hope. But this messenger from God comes with a specific message of hope, a message I need to hear and a message I think we all need to hear. Do not be afraid. Why? Verse 13, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. It is not in the text, but I would have to imagine that in that instant, as fast as Zechariah's mind could process what Gabriel is even saying, decades of despair turns into a wellspring of hope, Hope in the child? No. Hope in the God who hears prayers. That biblical truth, I'm telling you, is everything in this passage. And it should be everything in our life. God hears your prayer. He hears it. He knows you. He knows your prayers. He sees you. He sees your struggles. He feels your pain. When fear pushes out faith and delay in answered prayer turns to despair, remember these words from Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. God hears your 
prayer. And Gabriel wasn't just done yet, for there is good news on top of good news. No doubt Zechariah would have been leveled by this revelation, but what comes next would have exceeded any prayer from any person ever. Zechariah, your prayer and tor- torment will be, and your hollowed out hope will be replaced with joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Mom, did the doctor say anything like that about me when I was diseased? No. No. But 400 years of silence... 400 years of silence broken with this. Decades of silence for Zechariah and Elizabeth broken with this. Zechariah knew what the scriptures meant. He knew what they were. He knew what this was all about. His mind would have immediately gone to the scriptures from Isaiah, from Malachi. And suddenly what seemed like a biological impossibility was a divine reality. And the reality was bigger and better than Zechariah would have ever imagined, forget ever prayed for. And if you've ever been face to face with a dream that is larger than your faith, you know why Zechariah answered the way that he did. I've been, I've been so tempted, I've studied this passage for years and I've been, I've been so tempted, and I have, flat out, pointed the finger at Zachariah's unbelief. But we've got to be really careful here. Because after studying it this week, yes, Zachariah's answer lacks faith, but his doubt is a cry from his heart. Verse 18, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The new Anastasi translation Don't mess with me like that, Gabriel. Right? Like you could have promised anything right now. Don't play games with this one. I don't have enough left in me to get my hope up just to be let down. And many of you know how that feels. And in response, Gabriel strikes Zechariah, unable to speak, unable to hear. And so, yes, this praying priest was punished for for unbelief, as, as by the law, this ailment would have actually disqualified him from service in the temple. But note, the punishment comes with a promise, which means the punishment in and of itself testifies to the truth. You will be mute until the day that these things take place. Right? Zechariah never would have imagined it. He couldn't have seen it. He would have no framework for this type of blessing. He was afraid to even believe it. But the grip of our unbelief is nothing compared to the power of God's promise. All right, let's quickly turn our attention to the weeping wife. Now, I can only imagine this scene as it unfolded, right? Elizabeth welcomes her husband home from the greatest privilege he's ever had as a priest ever. Can't wait to hear about it. Can't wait to hear all about it. Door swings open. Welcome home, honey. How was your day? Silence. 
hand signals. That's it. The silent treatment. But all jokes aside, think of this from Elizabeth's standpoint. It is much deeper than at first glance. At, at that time and in that culture, Elizabeth could be divorced without question for being unable to bear children and even excommunicated from her people. And by rule, anyone excommunicated, you couldn't come within six feet of. That number sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> children were a blessing from the Lord so if you could not have them then you must be cursed they were cut off from communion with God equated with the leper she would have been identified for what she did not have and could not produce decades of social rejection from her people what would have felt like spiritual silence from her God and now literal physical silence from her husband. And for anybody here who struggled or struggles with infertility, you could preach this better than I can. But that emptiness doesn't just sting, it sears. And you don't need to imagine how Zachariah and Elizabeth felt. You don't need to imagine the fervency of their prayers, the cries of their heart. Remember the words of Gabriel. He did not say, do not feel. He said, do not fear. The Lord hears your prayer. And this story, this story shows yet again that the God who is for you is greater than any challenge which stands against you. The longings you feel are valid, but the tears you cry are not ignored and your waiting is not wasted. And in an ironic way, Zechariah's silence was the loudest thing Elizabeth has ever heard from God. For into her despair, into her rejection, into her reproach, into her defeat, a promise fulfilled. And she knows exactly where the promise came from. Verse 25, thus the Lord, thus the Lord. He has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. From a weeping wife to the mother of a miracle. And I, I learned a lot from Elizabeth and her husband this week, and perhaps we all can, that even in the waiting, even in the despair, she walked blameless, kept the commandments, loved the Lord. When the prayers went unanswered and age seemed to have the last word over hope, she remained obedient. In other words, her obedience to the Lord was not a means to an end. It was an end in and of itself. But that can only be true if God is not a means to an end. If he is an end in and of itself. And he is. He is just that. For he is not some God somewhere orchestrating history for someone. He is a faithful father. If the birth of Jesus is Christmas, this story is like Christmas Eve. All the anticipation wound tight as a drum. 400 years of silence from God shattered by this announcement from Gabriel. Now, pun intended, but this story is just pregnant with God's faithfulness. 
Like, listen to this. Zachariah's very name means God remembers. Elizabeth's very name means God's promise. And for the one wondering why God named their child John, John means God has graciously given. Now this no doubt applies to the barrenness and biological impossibility of Zachariah and Elizabeth, but it also applies to you and me. In general, yes, but in specific, how? Well, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, man, these are really crazy days, man, these are really dark times. If I had a dollar for every time I said that, but this time in Israel was a dark, dark time too. Like we look at this, this scene with nostalgia, right? But this was dark time. The nation was spiritually bankrupt. God was silent. Enemies surrounding God's people. Remember the first five words of our scripture today. In the days of Herod. Herod was appointed by Rome to subject Israel. He was a madman. It was said that it was better to be Herod's pig than his son. He was out of control, unjust, absolutely ungodly. These were very, very dark days. And into that darkness, God flips on the light switch of redemption and salvation. Yes, of course, God hears prayers. And he heard the prayers throughout the decades of Zechariah and Elizabeth. But when Zechariah entered the holy place on that day to burn incense, the belief was that the smoke from the incense rose to heaven and carried their prayers with it. And the role of the praying priest at that moment was to pray for the nation of Israel, pray for God's people, pray for redemption, pray for salvation. And the faithful father heard that prayer. He delivered John through miraculous circumstances, commissioned him from before day one to prepare the people for the coming of the king. God totally disrupted Zechariah and Elizabeth in the most incredible ways to deliver to them John. And John totally disrupted the religious scene of Israel, paving the way for Jesus. And God delivered Jesus through the most miraculous circumstances. And Jesus disrupted and continues to disrupt the entire world. And in going to the cross and raising from the tomb three days later, Jesus delivered you and me through the most miraculous circumstances so that we would pave the way. We would prepare a people, turn hearts, if you will, in preparation for Jesus. Jesus' second coming. <clears throat> and when the time was fulfilled and John was born, we see this grand narrative plan of deliverance revealed through the worship of Zechariah. When he can finally talk at the birth of his son, Zechariah cannot help but burst forth in worship not about God delivering to him a son, but through the son, God delivering salvation to an entire nation. Luke chapter 1, 67 through 79. Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, and he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear." 
in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And, and you, child, picture him turning to John now, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace." Listen, when the high priest would make the sacrifice before the incense, he would bring two lambs into the temple. One was sacrificed to make atonement for the sins of the people, the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. The second was called the scapegoat. The high priest would put his hand on the lamb and confess the sins of the nation. It was believed that the sins were imputed onto the lamb, and then the lamb was set free in the wilderness, carrying away from the people their sins. Well, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he was both the scapegoat and the atoning sacrifice. He paid for our sins, and he took them away. He took away your unbelief, your skepticism. He took away your doubt, away your shame and rejection. He took away your reproach. He took away your sins, and now you, child, are the prophet of the Most High. You go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to all the people for the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. But before we can make a way for others, we must make room for Jesus. This story invites us into something very special question for you. What do you need to purge from your life to make room for Jesus? Busyness? Consumerism? Skepticism and doubt like Zechariah? Shame and reproach like Elizabeth? What do you need to give to him to make room? Bitterness? Pride? Uncertainty? Maybe you have everything you've ever wanted and you're realizing the emptiness of the stuff and the things of this world. I invite us all this week to pray through this. Let the Lord reveal it to you. Write it down. Give it over to a trusted friend who can process this with you, pray through this with you, and spiritually hand it over to God and see the ways that he replaces that with joy and gladness. When God interrupts your life, let this Christmas Eve story remind you that you can trust his plans, you can trust his purpose, and you can trust his providence. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, there is much to learn in this story. There is much to apply to our lives, and we can do none of it without the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, this season can be one filled with tremendous joy and anticipation but it can also be one filled with misplaced hope. And so, Holy Spirit, would you recalibrate, realign our hearts to put our hope, our trust, our faith in nothing other than the living Lord Jesus Christ who conquered the grave that we would be set free. So Spirit, do that work that only you can do. Meet us exactly where, we're at, where we are at and give us the courage, the boldness, and the wisdom to take our next step walking in faith with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.